Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. I want to talk to you a little bit about, um, well, what people call benevolence. What I think of as, you know, helping the poor, as helping those who are, um, well, yeah, I guess helping the poor and the needy and, you know, helping those who, who need our help. Um, there's quite a bit of, of scripture and stuff with this, so I'm just going to jump right in. You know, I first I'm just going to going to state this is how I see it from what God's word says and what Jesus says. Um, we as Christians, you know, we should be benevolent to to all people, and as much as we can, and as often as we can, um, and whether it be as individuals or as groups or congregations or you know ministries, whatever, we should be as loving and kind and benevolent and and you know generous as we can be now admittedly not enough you know always use common sense we don't want to take food off our family's tables we don't want to you know lose our house or lose our building or you know whatever we don't want to do those things okay it's understandable that we would you know take care of that business that we need to take care of we need to take care in our congregation we need to make sure we're taking care of our congregation our members, they, they should be just like our family has to be, you know, has to come before out others outside. Well, so in our congregation, it's very similar. Now, where I get a lot of this, though, is, uh, is of course, it's directly from the Bible. I mean, we've been plainly told by God and, and Jesus how we should do and how we should treat others. And there's, there's no distinction, you know, um, about groups or individuals or whatever it applies to us in both ways it applies to us individually and it applies to us as a group now i'll try to keep some of these examples i'll try to keep it skinny down so i'm not overloading but i just want to explain um, how this is now first we're going to start with some examples from the new testament where there are believers and and people teaching that these examples are the rule and the law, and they are not, you know, just examples. So these examples, these examples, some of these, we're going to go through, you know, quite a few of these, but I'm not going to read them all like there are examples in Acts um, chapter 11, verse 27 through 30, where um, churches, you know, uh, like Antioch is giving sending money to help the church in Judea and then there's in Romans and in 1st Corinthians and 2nd Corinthians there's also places where these churches Macedonia and Achaia are sent into Jerusalem to help them so congregations are sent into other congregations to help each other you know and this is a perfect example of that we have you know believers in Jerusalem or in Judea that are they're in need and these other churches even though they're at a pretty good distance they know about that and so they send to them to help them and that is a good thing that's something we should be doing that's definitely that definitely follows along with some of the things we're going to we're going to read here now some of the other examples that are listed like acts chapter 2 verses 44 through 45 now the scriptures i'm reading are going to be from the amplified bible and all those who had believed in Jesus as Savior were together and had all things in common, considering their possessions to belong to the group as a whole. 
And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing proceeds with all the other believers as anyone had need. This is a good example of a congregation that came together and they decided to share everything they had. And that's what they did. This is a good example. However, this is not the rule or the law. We don't do this. I don't know of any congregation where people do this. But this is a great example. If we did this, it would really help a lot of people in our congregations. But this example saying that, well, this is the, one of the only ways we can help is to help fellow Christians. And that we can only share with fellow Christians. This is, this is, this is a good example, but it's not an example as in it's not a rule. It's not a law. But this is a good example of what you can do and what is perfectly acceptable to do. And it shows a loving heart. One of the reasons it's mentioned is that it's, it's like, you know, they're sharing everything with, you know, with, within their group. They're, they're, they're getting rid of all their extra stuff and they're sharing everything. You know, they're considering everything to be mutual. Now, some people would say this is socialism and it's a bad thing, but I would say in this case, these are people who agree to follow and believe the same things and do this, and that's a good example. And there's nothing wrong with that. Then we have another example in Acts chapter 4, 34 through 37. There was not a needy person among them, because those who were owners of land or houses were selling them and bringing the proceeds of the sales and placing the money down at the apostles' feet. Then it was distributed by the apostles to each as anyone had need. Now Joseph, a Levite, this is uh, the next couple of verses, and native of Cyprus, who was surnamed Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, sold a field belonging to him and brought the money and set it at the apostles' feet. So it was not uncommon in the early church for these people to be extremely generous and helpful to one another. They were like, well, I don't need this. This is extra stuff. And, you know, they were selling land and houses and bringing the proceeds and sharing it with the ministry and with the other people in the congregation. Now, because you notice they were giving it to the apostles. And then the apostles would distribute as people had need. So we don't do that today. This is a good example of something we could do, but we don't do this. I don't see or hear of anyone doing this. I'm not saying it's impossible. Certainly people could do it, and it could be happening, and maybe I don't hear about it, but I've not heard of that in my lifetime. So these two examples, which are very good examples, which we could follow, but they're not laws and rules. These are not exclusive examples that, oh, this is all you can do. That's never even mentioned. That's never stated in any way, but it is a good example of what we can do, but no one does this. So, I'm just, I'm just saying, no, no one that I know of does this. Alright, so then, there are some explicit guidelines that Paul gives to Timothy regarding widows. And you can find that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 9-16. through 16. And he's talking about, and I'm just going to go over this in a slight, very general way talking about how widows can be put on the list to receive regular assistance, but she has to meet certain qualifications, and really he wants it to be widows that are alone and dependent on the church that do not have any family to help them, etc. 
So I'm not aware there could be churches that do this, but I'm really not aware of churches that do this for the widows either. But there could be. And there may be some out there doing it right now. Just because I don't know it doesn't mean anything. Okay? So that could be happening. And there's definitely, like I say, there's, there's very defined things here about widows. Okay? And Paul is really very, he's pretty, pretty detailed. He's not extremely, well, yeah, he is. He's pretty detailed. So, you know, and he tells why, you know, we should be helping them and why the younger widows should be encouraged to go ahead and remarry and stuff because that's what they want to do. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, that's the way it is. Now, these are examples and these are examples of things that, um, the, that people would say that congregations can and should do. And what a lot of people like to say is these are exclusive examples and you can't do anything else because you don't have guidelines for anything else. But I don't believe that's true. And as we move further down, further along, you'll see why I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's correct. So, um, so here we have a couple examples that uh, that will be mentioned, like James chapter one verse twenty-seven, pure and unblemished religion, as it is expressed in outward acts. In the sight of our God and Father is this: to visit and look after the fatherless and the widows in their distress, and to keep oneself uncontaminated by the secular world. And then there's Hebrews. Chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to extend hospitality to strangers, especially among the family of believers, being friendly, cordial, and gracious, sharing the comforts of your home, and doing your part generously. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. These are two good examples. Now, however, we have to realize they say that these are individual responsibilities. But... The problem is, especially like with Hebrews, Hebrews is written to a congregation. And I think our congregation, we extend hospitality to uh, visiting Christians. And if a stranger came in off the street, we would extend hospitality to those strangers. We don't know if they're a Christian or not, but we definitely would. Why wouldn't you? A congregation should definitely extend hospitality to people who come in. And we don't know them. We would like for them to join the Lord's family. So the idea that this is only an individual's responsibility is... Is, is skewed. It's, it's really wrong. Because that's not, even though this does say, um, like here, and this is the Amplified Bible, it adds a lot, it says that about sharing the comforts of your home. But if you take out the part they put in brackets and add to it, it says, do not neglect to extend, extend hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. And it's written to a congregation, the Hebrew congregation. So, you know, we, we can't say that that's purely just an individual's responsibility. Now, in this case, it doesn't mean the stranger is needy or, or poor. We, we have no idea the stranger could be anybody. But, again, the idea that this says this is just an individual's responsibility, it is not. It is an individual's responsibility also, but it is not just an individual's responsibility. It is the congregation's responsibility. If we have a stranger come into the congregation and come into service, we should, of course, extend them hospitality and be kind to them. We don't, we don't know who they are. Anyway, so that's part of 
where we get into problems saying that these things are exclusive uh, examples and then saying that this is an example of something that is written just to individuals but it's not it's written to a congregation and the same with James James um, I'm gonna check on this real fast but James was written and it's in it was not intended to only be read and followed by one person an individual so James, I checked on that, and James was written to, uh, he addresses it to the 12 tribes in dispersion. So it is written to groups of people or congregations of people. It is not really written just to individuals. Matter of fact, trying to make, trying in the New Testament, in the epistles, to make the distinction of what is written to individuals from congregations or groups is nearly impossible because we should be taking everything personally as an individual but we should also be taking everything collectively as a congregation as a group and realizing that this is our responsibility always just because we're part of the congregation it doesn't alleviate our responsibilities and then just because we're an individual it doesn't mean that all the responsibility falls on us as individuals you know there's there's some there's some room there for uh, working together and having you know um, having that uh, what is it you know one can put uh, ten thousand to flight and two can put or one can put a thousand to flight and two can put ten thousand to flight you know having that strength in numbers having that support that's one reason we congregate and we get together is to have that strength in numbers and to make things more powerful and better rather than saying no no we, we're only we're only responsible for those things as individuals the congregation cannot get involved and and anyway trying to make that separation trying to make that distinction is really logically impossible because all of these letters were written to congregations with a very few exceptions Paul wrote a couple of letters to Timothy and let's see there's a written letter to oh I want to say the name wrong hold on to Philemon there's that letter and then there is another letter oh I'm probably gonna get the name wrong so we'll let that go for a moment but there's another letter that's written to a uh, an individual but most of them were written to congregations and written as for congregations and it was not intended that we would take everything as well it only applies if you're an individual and trying to make those distinctions is where we get into trouble because we're trying to make when we do that we're trying to make laws we're trying to make rules and regulations where there aren't and we're trying to you know bind things that shouldn't be bound we're trying to you know lock those things down when they don't need to be locked down we need to use good common sense the love of God you know I think we have those I think we can do that so so anyway these are good examples you know and these are good things that we should be doing to help other churches and other believers and other saints however they're not exclusive examples they do not override what God and Jesus have already told us to do okay so I want to go back we're going to go way back. We're going to start back with the Israelites. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 7 to 11. Now this is God telling his people, and this still applies to us. We're his people now. 
And it still applies to us. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release is near. Every seven years they forgave all debts and everything, so... You know, he's saying, be careful that you don't look at this the wrong way. And your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother, and you give him nothing. And he cries to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of sin. Because you wouldn't be following what God has said to do. You shall give him freely. You shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Because for this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you will open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy and to the poor in your land. Now, you can take certain words here and try to skew this so it only applies to certain people. But he says plainly you shall open your hand wide. And he also says to the needy and to the poor in your land. It's not just your brother. It's not just someone who belongs to the same group as you. But you shall open wide your hand. It does say to your brother, because we should look at everyone as our brother. Everybody is a potential brother at any moment. Everyone is a potential Christian at any second. So we should open wide our hand. That's what God is telling us. That's how He loves and cares for us and for everyone. And that's going to become more apparent, too. Too often we see other people in the world, we see them as enemies, okay? And we see them as enemies of God. But even if they are, even if you consider them your enemy or God's enemy, this is what Jesus has said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now notice what he's saying. He's comparing us and saying we should be like God. God sends the same blessings on all of us. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If all we love and all we care about and all we show love to are other Christians or people in our congregation or our family, we're not doing anything that anyone else doesn't do. Everyone always likes the people in their group. They always like the people in their little club. They always like the people that they hang out with. But we need to go beyond that. We need to be getting beyond that and past that. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And how is he perfect? You go back up a couple of verses. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. It doesn't matter. There's no distinction made here. Jesus is not making any distinction whether you are an individual or a group. Why? 
because that doesn't matter. He does elaborate, though, further on how and why we should help others. These are some examples, and these are good examples, but these are also giving us a why. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40, then the king will say to those on his right, now he's, he's been going through this comparison, and this will become evident as we read it, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, and this is Jesus the king, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Because the example here, if you read above this, is that, um, is that we were, you know, we were feeding the hungry. We were giving water to the thirsty. We were helping those and visiting those. And he's saying what we do for others is what we do for him. The whole idea here is that what we do for others, how we help others, is what we do for the Lord. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal. You know, Jesus, our only ministry is Jesus' ministry, what he has given us to do. That's our only ministry. We have no other ministry. And no distinction is made about the recipient of God's love and mercy that comes through us, that what we do, and there's no distinction made as to whether we act individually as a group or as a group because it's it doesn't matter and because you know however godly we are as an individual we should be even more so as a group and whatever we can do as an individual we should be able to do more as a group so and then there are you know, there are some good examples where Paul, there's just a couple of short examples here, where Paul encourages us as congregations now, because he wrote these two congregations, to continue to do good. If you look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And so then, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone. Notice that. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Of course, that's, a, that's good. But this is where I get what I had said earlier about we should do as much as we can, as often as we can. We should, you know, be helpful and benevolent to others. And that's where this comes from. That's the same. We're all following the same Lord with the same idea. Then in uh, 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. He doesn't say one brother. He says brothers. It's as a group or as an individual. It doesn't matter. We're still all part of the body of Christ. We're still all part of that same group. And we all do the same. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. If you're talking about money and people get particular about money, Everything is God's, and God is our source for everything. It doesn't matter if the money comes out of my wallet, if it comes out of the church's 
uh, account or if it comes out of other people's accounts. It doesn't matter. It's all God's. The source is God regardless, and it all comes from God. So, you know, we worry a little too much about some of those things, and we, we get caught up in it. It's kind of a, a bad mindset. Anyway, but remember that these things were written to congregations, as are most of the epistles. You know, there's a few epistles that were written to individuals, but most were written to congregations. Jesus, most of the time, was talking to all of the disciples. And he had a lot of disciples, not just like the twelve we think of, but he had a lot more people around him usually than just them. All right, so and to, to reinforce what has already been said in Matthew, we look at Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. If you lend and you don't expect nothing in return, you know what that is? That's giving. That's what that is. That's giving. That's why I, I don't believe in lending. I, I just go ahead and just give it to someone. If they want to pay me back, that is between them and God, but they don't have to. Just give it to them. If I have it to give, if I have it, then I'll, I'll just give it to them. Now, a lot of times, I mean, if it's something outrageous, I, I won't have it. I'm just a normal person. I don't have, you know, but I, you know, that's just the way I look at it. This is why I don't really believe in lending, is because if you lend expecting nothing in return, then you're really just giving it away, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. So we can't just be looking out for Christians. We can't just be kind to Christians. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. How are they going to see the love of God if they don't see it from us? Be it in, in a group or individually or both, it doesn't matter. If, if people in the world do not see that, I think this is why churches are dying. I think this is why a lot of churches are dying. They don't do things to help others, to draw others in, to show them the love of God. I, I'm just putting that out there. I'm just saying it. I, I think that's I think that's a problem with a lot of churches and why they why they die. They just wither and die. Okay, so I believe really strongly in the things that God and Jesus, you know, the Lord have told us to do. You know how we should be and what we should do. There's no distinction in all of these things and all these instructions, all these commands. There's no distinction between being in a group, a congregation, or being an individual. And I, I think when we try to make a distinction that isn't there, I think we're adding to the Word of God, and I think that's incorrect. Now, that's I'm just going based on what I read in the Bible. I'm just basing this on the verses. I There are a lot more verses you can look at, but the verses I have here and the things that I'm talking about. Um, so the issues come from... You know, the issues come from, or the issues come in, I believe, um, when we start taking those examples and we try to make them more than examples. They're good examples, but when you try to make them a rule unto themselves, that is the issue. So, you know, I really strongly believe we should follow what God and Jesus have already told us. You know, they uh, plainly tell us what to do in plain, no-nonsense language. We are told uh, repeatedly, you know, how we should watch out for others. And 
It doesn't always say those others are Christians. So then we get into another little conversation. I'm going to keep this kind of small. Um, there's an idea that you have to have authority. We must have explicit written authority to do anything we do or to do good deeds and good acts. Now, if you take it to the extreme and say we have to have that written authority for everything we do, then you need to really be living as the Amish because there is no written authority to use all of the modern conveniences we have, okay? Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with using them. There's not. I know there's not. But if you if you take this to an extreme, you can get to a silly extreme and then you start being, well, actually, you need to be worse than the Amish, but that's beside the point. Um, but let's just look at it as, you know, we need written authority to do good acts and deeds. Well, I would say that God and Jesus have already instructed us and given us authority to do good acts and deeds as far as helping the needy, helping the poor, helping those in need, loving our brother, loving uh, our enemies. I would say we've already been given that authority, and no distinction has been made as far as in a group or individually or whatever. So that's what I believe. That's what I read, and that's what I see in the Scripture. Jesus gave us the authority to do these things in his name and actually told us to do these things for him. What we do for others is what we do for him. So some of the issue is that, you know, as people, sometimes we want laws and rules and regulations. We tend to kind of be Pharisees. You know, sometimes we're minded that way. And that's why Jesus rebuked him as much as he did and taught against the whole letter of the law mentality. So an example of this mentality can be seen here in Mark chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 again now this is speaking of Jesus again he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him well you know how they were they were very very letter of the law very hard-hearted towards this type of thing and he said to the man with the withered hand come here and he said to them, to the Pharisees, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. Now he says this because they do, they did, you know, do things on the Sabbath. They did some things such as maybe they would kill and prepare an animal or, or whatever. They would do certain things. They allowed certain things. But they didn't want him to heal someone on the Sabbath because they considered that to be wrong. But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. You know, we, we don't want to be like the Pharisees. We, that does not represent the Spirit of God at, in any way at all. We don't want to have that hardness of heart. We don't want to make restrictions and rules and laws where there are none and where there are not supposed to be any. You know, that's simply adding to the Word of God, and we know that's wrong. So, you know, I would ask a similar question, okay? Knowing that all money is God's, and that it all comes from the same source, 
Is it lawful to do good with God's money? To help the poor, to help the homeless? What is more important? People? Or a building? Or a parking lot? You know, we do spend God's money on facilities and utilities. Are people not more important? Anyway, I just want us to think about these things and judge them correctly by God's word. I think God and Jesus make the answer and make our responsibility very clear. And I don't think there is any distinction that people like to create. And here are a couple of closing scriptures or just closing ideas, something to think about. One being in Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 16. He defended the cause of the afflicted and needy. Then all was well. Is that not what it means to know me, says the Lord? When we take care of and watch after and protect the afflicted, the needy, is that not what it means to know God? I think it is. I think it is. Now here in Isaiah, we have some verses where God is correcting the Jewish people. Um, explaining that he does not want their fake or false or hypocritical fasts and, and, you know, actions that are really not heartfelt and not sincere. And instead, he explains what he wants instead. And I think this, again, speaks to our incorrect attitude and thinking. Sometimes we think we're doing what God wants in worship and in song, but we are actually neglecting the weightier matters. As Jesus said, we're we're missing the point. Isaiah chapter 58 verses 5 through 8. Is a fast such as this what I have chosen? A day for a man to humble himself with sorrow in his soul? Is it only to bow down his head like a reed? And to make sackcloth and ashes as a bed, pretending to have a repentant heart? Do you call this a fast and a day pleasing to the Lord? Rather, is this not the fast which I choose, to undo the bonds of wickedness, to tear to pieces the ropes of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and break apart every enslaving yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry, and bring the homeless poor into the house, when you see the naked that you cover him, and not to hide yourself from the needs of your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break out like the dawn, and your healing, restoration, new life will quickly spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you, leading you to peace and prosperity. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. And notice, not to hide ourselves from the needs of our own flesh and blood, our, our, our fellow man, our fellow people. You know, we can't hide in the congregation and say, well, that's not my responsibility. You know, it is our responsibility. And it, it is all of our responsibility, whether we think of ourselves as individuals or groups, as a congregation or whatever. It does not matter. It's still all our responsibility. And it's still all thanks to God's resource and thanks to God's great blessings that we have the option to help. So to take that option and not help is wrong. To take those blessings and not share those, it is wrong. We know it is wrong. If we know what is right and we do not do it, we know that is wrong. So 
that is it. That's all I had to say. It's just things for us to think about and to consider, you know, what is right and what is wrong as far as God sees things. How should we be towards others? And exactly what is the benevolence that we're supposed to do? I think, I think Jesus and God are both very clear on what we should do. And I, I don't think there's a lot of distinctions made. Um, I know some people want to say there are, but I do not find them in the Bible. And if you don't, if you do not have clearly stated distinctions and clearly stated rules, then really that's where we have freedom over versus the law because we don't have these dead set rules and this is all you can do. No, we we can use the heart and the spirit of God that he has given us, the love he has given us, and we can use that and we know what is right and what is wrong. So I want to thank you for listening. I hope this has been useful to you. I hope you have a wonderful day. May the Lord bless you and keep you safe. And remember, God loves you.